For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Hello and welcome back to the Sports Ethos, Atlanta Hawks team coverage podcast, formerly known as Hoop Ball Hawks. We cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia, on Monday, January 9th, National Championship Game Day, College Football Playoff Final. It's tonight for the home state Georgia Bulldogs as they take on the TCU Horn Frogs in SoFi Stadium in LA. So, this episode will be released the day after the national title game, to give respect to the Georgia Bulldogs, who spanked my LSU Tigers. Um, and I'm not surprised by that spanking. So I want to give listeners here in the Atlanta area and the state of Georgia and the region who are Georgia Bulldogs fans and college football fans who may listen to this podcast a whole day to just embark on the finality of a very great college football season. But obviously this is a basketball podcast. We talk about the Atlanta Hawks who I wanted 3 and 1 on the West Coast road trip. That was my best case scenario. But I'll take a split. I will take a split. And to go on to LA, take on the the Clippers and Lakers two day two games in 3 days. In the same arena. And split. I hated how they came out against the Lakers. And how flat, uninspired, unenergetic they were. But they flipped it around. Rallied. They went on a 17-4 run. They were down 102-91 in the fourth quarter. Went on a 17-4 run. Led by Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter. To come back and win this game in L.A split the trip in LA and ultimately split the West Coast road trip two and two before they come back here to Atlanta Wednesday night to take on the Milwaukee Bucks on ESPN. And like I said, I will take a West Coast road trip split. I will take it. And then looking back on the Golden State Warriors loss, that was the one that got away. If it could have been 3-1 on that West Coast road trip, it was that Golden State Warriors game that I point to. Because the way they came out against the Lakers, it was they just didn't show up until the third quarter. They were flat. I don't know if they were partying in L.A. Please, no more parties in L.A. But certainly they didn't bring it in the same against the Golden State Warriors. In the two losses out West, the common denominator was how the Hawks started the game. Golden State, they were shooting poorly from the field, bad perimeter defense, missing free throws, but they rallied back to take the lead, gain the lead, lose it. Warriors put it in overtime, and as we talked about the episode before, rebounding was a huge, huge issue. That game, and particularly offensive rebounds, and they were out rebounded on the offensive glass, twenty-three to ten in favor of the Golden State Warriors against the Lakers. They just flat out just got ran out the gym. They got ran out of the gym. Um, the moment's too big. Pissed down their leg. You know the guy from Instagram and Twitter, but it certainly seemed like that. So the common denominator in their in their two losses was how they started. In their two wins against Sacramento and then last night against the Los Angeles Clippers, they got out the fast starts, 
played with great energy on both ends of the floor. They had great ball movement, and they played team basketball. Team basketball, which is what I talked about last episode. That was the formula in that Sacramento win that they found out. Starting fast, getting everybody involved, playing with energy and effort on both ends of the floor, playing as a team, and relying on a team down the stretch. They did the same thing last night in the fourth quarter. And there was some people who maybe, you know, the fourth game of the West Coast road trip, their legs certainly weren't underneath them. Bogey certainly did not have his legs underneath them. It wasn't the explosive uh, John Collins performance that we've been seeing the last four or five games, but certainly he was still solid. It wasn't a great offensive day for DeJounte Murray, but... Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter, I thought Trey Young was the offensive player of the game. And the defensive player of the game last night was DeAndre Hunter with his defense on Kawhi Leonard last night. He was great. And Kawhi is hard to stop. He still had his points. I want to say he had 28 last night. As I fact check myself, Kawhi had 29 points. But he had 29 points on 23 shots. So it wasn't an efficient 29 points. He did get 10 free throw attempts, made 9 of them. And Kawhi had his 7 rebounds, his 4 assists, his 2 steals to show you that he's still one of the premier two-way players in the NBA. And certainly somebody that, if the Hawks had, they would be a great team. But with his load management, we have dubbed DeAndre Hunter... A while ago, baby Kawhi, and he showed Kawhi-esque two-way play last night. So he was extremely pivotal for the Atlanta Hawks. So led by Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, the second unit really played well yesterday. In particular, got to give my flowers to A.J. Griffin, three for three in 11 minutes. Um, he was taken out down the stretch because his defense was a liability, but very impactful 11 minutes, plus three on a plus-minus last night. Frank Kaminsky, who everyone rolls their eyes at and scoffs when he gets in the game, which I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. Uh, four points in 11 minutes, had five rebounds, one assist. Hit two or four free throw attempts, so could have had six points if you made all your free throws, so. And he was the third highest, tied for the third highest plus minus on the team. And Jalen Johnson, who does not necessarily get consistent minutes, but when he plays with confidence, he is a difference maker off the bench with his athleticism, with his improved shooting, his passing. No assist last night, but he's a very underrated passer for a forward, especially a young small forward who hasn't played a ton of basketball in his life. A lot of people forget he's athletic, but he is still raw and still needs to be not refined, but grow his game and grow a maturity. And we're seeing that in the last few weeks with how he's played in spurts. Last night he had 13 points, five or six shooting from the floor, Two of three from three, 50% from the free throw line, four rebounds, two steals, a block. Really good game from Jalen Johnson last night. I thought he provided some really, really great minutes in the time that he got it in the game. Last night's win over the Clippers improves the Hawks to 19-21 and 21 overall. They're in 10th in the Eastern Conference. Still not where they want to be. Last night's win was Nate McMillan's 750th win of his career. So, congrats to Nate McMillan. And I missed it on the last podcast. Trey Young did get his 8,000th career point in the league already on this West Coast road trip. So, two really great accomplishments, uh, but still a lot more work to be done. Like I said, when you look at the numbers last night, Trey Young, who scored... 14 of his 30 points in the fourth quarter. He was clutch. He was vintage clutch Trey Young, which we have not really seen 
this year. So it was really great to see his performance last night. He had 30 points, 8 assists, 2 rebounds, and 1 steal. As I mentioned, DeAndre Hunter had a really good game. 20 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals. DeJounte Murray finished with 16 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, and 1 steal. John Collins had 13 points, 9 rebounds, and 3 blocks. Even though it wasn't a great offensive performance, I thought his defense was pretty solid. Because um, guarding Zubac in the, in the paint is a load. And Zubac had his game, and we'll talk about his numbers here in a bit. Onyeka Kongu, 5 points in the start, 9 rebounds, 3 blocks, 2 assists. Already said Jalen Johnson's number, and then A.J. Griffin ended with seven points, hitting all of his field goal attempts. So it was a great team win. Vintage Trey Young, great defensive stops down the stretch. They really executed in the fourth quarter. And like I said before, in the two wells, it was poor energy to start the game, and it took them – in both games against the Lakers and the Warriors halftime to get in the gear and come back to life. That is a habit that I want snuffed out. And I want that left out on the West Coast. I don't want that traveling back in their luggage here to Atlanta. That's my personal preference. Probably a lot of fans' preference as well. Uh, we don't like those slow starts. We don't like them. We don't want to see them again. But I'm glad that they reversed that last night and like I said in the wins better energy better ball movement which enabled players outside of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray to step up like last night it was Jalen Johnson and DeAndre Hunter in the Sacramento game it was Bogey it was John Collins it was Hunter again it was DeJounte Murray but as of right now it's clear with even with the, the stellar play from John Collins as of late. DeAndre Hunter is their third option scoring right now. They are they were really high on him in the offseason. They were really reluctant to let him go. They weren't going to include him in trade talks unless it was a huge piece. But you see why the Hawks were high on DeAndre Hunter with him having a healthy offseason. This is the most confident and the best basketball that I've seen him play on both ends of the floor since he's been in the NBA. So you see why we paid him. And if we can just keep him healthy, there, it's a bright future. Now, I don't know if his ceiling is as high as a Kawhi, but certainly his floor continues to rise with his elevated play. And if he continues to play with this confidence, play with this aggressiveness, that's one thing that we've been noticing. A lot more aggressive, getting a shot, scoring in mid-range, getting to the rim. If we can... Continue to get that play from DeAndre Hunter. It's going to pay dividends down the stretch for us as a third option because he was just hitting just tough shots, three-pointers, mid-range jumpers, getting to the rim, guarding Kawhi Leonard with the best of them. And even though Kawhi still did Kawhi things, DeAndre Hunter has some key stops down the stretch to keep Kawhi from having his patented game-winner or big shot, big fourth quarter to overcome the surge that was Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks in the fourth quarter. So they really finished last night, which was the great thing that I saw. And also, as I mentioned before, the second unit really provided a lift. I mentioned Jalen Johnson, A.J. Griffin, Frank Kaminsky. They provided a real nice lift in last night's game. We're not a great bench. We're not. But we're going to need games where they overperform and play with energy and effort and pace when they are on the court. And things are kind of thrown off because you have Capella, who's been out for seven games now. Onyeka Kongu normally provides that energy and spark off the bench defensively in that second union when you have Aaron Holiday. You have Bogey, who is leading the second unit in scoring. Um, you have A.J. Griffin, who they run sets for and get him some shots, especially in that mid-range, and let him go to work. Jalen Johnson, when he gets his minutes. but And certainly Jalen Johnson has been getting more minutes than Justin Holiday to the relief of a lot of Hawks fans. But the second unit 
to start the year off, they had a lot of continuity. And with injuries, it got kind of thrown off because people were thrusted into the starting lineup and getting more roles and more touches. And they were playing better in their roles and playing with more energy and effort, but wasn't sustainable, which is why, or consistent, which is why they are bench players. So it's something that the Hawks hope to get back. Because I saw something on Twitter, Brad Rowland tweeted it out and I retweeted it, that still the best lineup net change for the Hawks is the original starting lineup. When you have Trey at the one, Murray at the two, DeAndre Hunter at the three, John Collins at the four, and Capella at the five. Missing Capella has been has been eye-opening this year. And I hope that people are putting more respect on Capella's name. Is a stretch five nice? Yes. Stretch five is always nice. A Miles Turner would be great on his team. But the leadership, the defensive anchor, which people scoff at, if Capella's your best defensive player, we're not a good defense. Shut up. Shut up. Because you're clearly seeing that rim protection and rebounding has been a glaring issue, even though Okongu's been playing extended minutes with Capella out, which a lot of you wanted him to start over Capella. And you're seeing that he's undersized to play the five. He can be serviceable, but I think his reaching his true potential, it will be playing the a power forward position in the NBA. It won't be the center which is why you still need Capella. And him being out seven straight games has been tough for the Hawks, especially on the glass. The Hawks are now 4-9 this year without Capella. The record with Capella, 15-12. They're three games above 500 when Capella plays. When Capella doesn't play, you're five games under 500, which right now we're two games under 500 as it's set as we, as we set right now here on Monday, January 9th. So certainly not where we want to be, but the Hawks just need to get healthy. Just need to get healthy. And we're going to certainly need him with a big matchup looming on Wednesday against the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to certainly need him. The goal is to get one more episode to preview that Milwaukee Bucks game on Wednesday. So you'll get... An episode on Wednesday previewing that game will be shorter than this one. But I'm hoping by the time that, that episode comes out, Capella's back. I pray that he's back because we've been getting eaten alive on the boards. And last night was no different. Last night was no different. Zubach was getting any and everything he wanted around the rim as far as rebounding the ball. I thought they rebounded extremely. Extraordinarily well as a team last night. They out-rebounded the Hawks 59-43. to Out of the 59 Clippers rebounds, Zubach had 18 of those. Moses Brown off the bench had 10 of those. So 28, 28 rebounds out of 59 for the Clippers were from their centers. Okongu last night, serviceable. Nine, nine rebounds. John Collins got his hands dirty. Nine rebounds. Murray had five. Hunter had four. Kaminsky had five and 11 minutes, which you can take it or leave that. Bogey had four. Jalen Johnson had four. So people were getting into the paint and rebounding, but certainly missing Capella hurts this team. And even with Capella, we don't win a lot of rebounding margins, but it is more it is glaring with him out the offense rebound margin last night and 21 and 7 in favor of the clippers 21 offensive rebounds for the clippers seven for the hawks defensive rebounds the clippers won plus two easier to manage but certainly and in that lakers game rebounding was still an issue as well they got out rebounded by by a 12th, 51 to 39. Uh, and most of those rebounds, they got out rebounded on the defensive end. But when you go back and look at the numbers for that Lakers game, they were abysmal in that first half. Ended up shooting just under 46% from the floor, 
whereas the Lakers shot 55% from the floor. They were getting anything they wanted, especially in the paint. They outscored the Hawks 66 to 50 in the paint. And then one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the Los Angeles Lakers made 16 threes on Friday night and shot just under 46% from three. Scored 130 points, just ran the Hawks out of the gym. Wasn't close. Didn't play with effort. They got killed in a fast break. 26-12 and 12 in favor of the Lakers. The Lakers still committed 18 turnovers. The Hawks only had 12, but it didn't help. It didn't help. You didn't help how you started the game, and you tried. You know, you had a really good third quarter, 33-point third quarter. You saw some strides to try to cut into that lead, but they got they got behind too far too early, and they ended up losing 130-114. to John Collins had a solid game, 16 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 blocks, but he was 7 of 18 from the floor, so not an efficient night. A Kongu, 10 points, 7 rebounds, 3 steals, 1 block. But he was minus 17 on plus minus. DeAndre Hunter, solid game, 16 points, 8 rebounds, 5 of 13 from the floor, 2 of 5 from 3, but minus 12, plus minus. The highest plus minus on the team was Trey Young. Trey Young had two great games in L.A. And, I mean, he has a home there, so maybe he feels at home with the Lakers, which I'm not trying to put a narrative out there but i have talked privately that if a lakers sorry an la team were to want trey young i think it'd be the clippers i really think it'd be the clippers that he ends up with in la but that's neither here nor there he had 32 points on friday night 50 percent from the floor two of eight from three nine assists five rebounds three steals so good stat line outside of the six turnovers Murray struggled again, 16 points on 18 field goal attempts, six assists, one rebound, one steal, minus 11 and plus minus. So second lowest plus minus in the starting lineup. And off the bench, your best bench player was Bogey, 10 points off the bench on seven attempts, but he had the worst plus minus on the team. Worse. AJ Griffin only gave you five. Aaron Holiday gave you six. Got ran out of gym. Ran out of gym. Missed five free throws. They were set. The Hawks are a north of 80% free throw shooting team. Shot 77% on Friday night. I mean, you get those five free throws back, would have made a difference. You still would have lost by, if you in a dream, if everything stayed the same, you still lose by 11. So you give up 37 first quarter points. You give up 33 second quarter points. You get outscored by 12 in the second quarter. So if you have a little better second quarter and then have maybe the same output in the third or fourth, it's a little bit manageable game, but it's about how you start. It's about how you start. LeBron James had a quiet 25 points. You know, Thomas Bryant killed the Hawks again. 19 points, 13 rebounds. He had a field day with Capella out. Dennis Schroeder continues to play well for the Lakers. 21 points for him. Off the bench, you had Russ with almost a triple-double, 18 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, 2 steals, 1 block. He's up for 6th man of the year. He's been really well. He's played really well since he's relegated to the bench for this Lakers team. And then Kendrick Nunn was the killer all night. I mean, I don't know. I, have, I can't remember the last time I seen Kendrick Nunn play this well. It was so frustrating to watch. But in 27 minutes, he had 23 points. 9 of 16 from the floor, 3 of 7 from 3. And then Christie, the rookie, 8 points off the bench. So they had great bench play to supplement some of the lackluster performances from their starters. But Lakers end up with 3 players with over 20 points. And you had 5 players with over 18 points for the Lakers. They just flat out dominated the Hawks. But they got their get back in L.A., with their performance last night to kind of wash that taste out your mouth, even though you got swept by the Lakers, which sucks. It sucks. You took advantage of a Clippers team that has now lost six straight games, I want to say. They're slumping, so you really took advantage of a Clippers team that's been struggling. They're one of the worst offensive teams in the NBA, but a really good defensive team. 
So to hold a Clippers team to under 39% shooting is good. That's really good. They missed seven free throws for the Clippers. That, that's excellent. Clippers only shot 33% from three. That is extremely excellent. Uh, Marcus Morris had 15 points on 16 field goal attempts. We'll take that. Zubac, again, 17 points, 18 rebounds, three assists, one block last night. Uh, Mann had 14 points, eight rebounds, four assists, two steals. Already said Kawhi's number of Nicholas Batum, five fouls, but ended the game with six points, five rebounds, three assists, one steal, the Swiss Army knife for the Clippers. And off the bench, Norman Powell, who um, they said on the broadcast, averages 19 points when he against the Hawks in his career, was below his uh, career average against the Hawks, 14 points, 3 of 13 shooting from the floor, 8 rebounds for Moses Brown off the bench. Sorry, 8 points, 10 rebounds for Moses Brown off the bench. Uh, John Wall was not a factor, and Reggie Jackson only played 8 minutes. So you're going to take that. You're going to take what the team gives you. And I'm going to give you guys a real quick break before I wrap up some of my final thoughts. From this road trip last night, some narratives on the team. So you guys know the drill. First, this quick plug. Okay, listeners, it's time to talk a little fantasy hoops. Now, I don't know about you. I'm in several fantasy leagues. In every fantasy league that you are in, you have a rival. Pokemon, Ash Ketchum had Gary. And I know you have your Gary out there. So it's time to beat Gary and get the insight that you need to take your stuff to the next level and win a fantasy basketball championship. Do you remember who led you to Tyrese Halliburton, DeJounte Murray, Terry Rozier, and Mikhail Bridges before any other rank list? I know which one. It's the Brewskis 150. And you probably turned those huge wins into some cash. Or a fantasy basketball championship. This year, the Brewski 150 is on sale for a limited time. And Ethos 360 subscribers can get access in less than a week. Head to sportsethos.com and click on the premium tab to grab membership information or the draft guide today. And yes, to answer your most important question, the Brewski 150 is included in both options. Check back daily for more new features and go dominate your leagues. Beat Gary with the help of Sports Ethos. All right, and we are back. Some final thoughts from last night's game. I thought Oyaka Kongu was solid on the defensive end. He did a great job of staying on the floor and not fouling out. The key is not getting John Collins in the Congo in foul trouble, especially with Clint Capella out. I think when Clint Capella plays, that's still something that we have to manage. We have to manage their foul situation as best as we possibly can because we're not a deep team in the front court. We're not. And I continue to say on this program, my only gripe about Travis Schlenk, and he had a lot of dysfunction that he was working with that a lot of people are not aware of. A lot of people are not aware of. I know people tell me all the time, you know, Tony Ressler said he's not, he doesn't mind spending over the luxury tax. Well, Travis Schlenk wanted to go over the luxury tax. Tony Ressler, who rather um, saved money, he put that narrative out so then when it didn't happen, it was easy to, to force Travis Schlenk out of his role. I'm going to say that now. He put that out there saying, I don't mind spending over the luxury cap. And he said that, but didn't do what he said he was going to do. And so it justifies Travis Schlenk being pushed out of his role because ultimately he's going to get scapegoated. You're going to scapegoat the president of basketball operations and not the owner, even though it's the owner's money. And that owner rather have a $15 million reimbursement coming to him in, in August. That same owner that's probably going to politic for a lot of 10-day contracts as a quick fix as far as for depth issues or holes on this team. Thursday, January 5th, 
was the first day in which teams can sign 10-day contracts. And for those who are not familiar, a 10-day contract is exactly what it sounds like. It's a contract for the greater of 10 days or three games. It's a temporary deal designed to give a team a bit of help for a short period of time. And there's a couple of rules for 10-day contracts. First, a team must have an open roster spot to sign the player. And unlike the previous season, and this is according to Spotrack, where I'm reading this right now, unlike last season, when teams were regularly given additional hardship spots due to the COVID-related absences, that hasn't happened this year. The second rule for a 10-day contract, so you have to have an open roster spot, and the second rule is that with a 10-day contract, you have to be aware of teams that are limited to signing the same player to only two 10-day deals. So you can only sign the same player to, to two 10-day deals. And then after the second 10-day deal is complete, if the team wants to keep that player, they must sign them for the remainder of the season. So you can sign a player. You can like what he does in a three-game time span or 10 days. Give him another 10-day contract. So your maximum get six games. You get six games out of them. It's a quick run flat. Not run flat, but um, a patch, a tire patch. That's what this is to keep the thing rolling. It's a cheap fix. And teams who can currently sign 10-day contracts, your Atlanta Hawks is number one on the list. And it also includes the Hornets, the Cavaliers, Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, Heat, Thunder, 76ers, Suns, Trailblazers, and Raptors. But, and, and, and that could include some veterans. So, theoretically, if the Hawks need some front court depth, Hassan Whiteside and DeMarcus Cousins are available. You can do two 10-day contracts and put them on your team. I'd really look at Hassan Whiteside. Well, I mean, Boogie Cousins wouldn't be bad, depending on how he's feeling, how he physically is right now. But those are two potential flyers the Hawks can take. Other big veterans that are out there that could be on a 10-day route. I mean, Carmelo Anthony. Um, if you want more depth as far as the forward position. Isaiah Thomas, if you want more guard depth, but I highly doubt that. Um, you can do G League call-ups. So you can sign G League players uh, to 10-day contracts and bring them on to your roster. Um, and there's several players out there. And the uh, Skyhawks do have a really good team this year. So maybe they take a flyer at one of their players internally and give them an opportunity to come up for a 10-day contract, but if I were the Hawks, front court depth has been an issue. I think if you add a Hassan Whiteside to your team, to this Hawks team, and you move Okongu to the four, I think it severely helps your defense. I think it gives you another big body to throw throw the ball down to as far as in the paint. And he didn't play bad for the Jazz last season. Uh, he was a pretty effective player on both ends of the floor. And same thing with DeMarcus Cousins. He showed enough with the Nuggets and the Bucks that maybe he can have a backup center spot in the NBA. Um, but... The question is, what role does he want? And how much does he play? I mean, so that's something I'm looking out for. Um, Hassan Whiteside would be a very interesting uh, 10-day contract uh, veteran that I could see the Hawks potentially throwing at. I mean, give him two 10-day contracts, see how it helps. Especially with Capella being out for seven games. We don't know. There's no timetable on when he comes back. But when he does come back, having Hassan Whiteside to fall back on.
to kind of bring him back slowly, bringing Capella back slowly from that calf injury could be a very smart play for this Atlanta Hawks team. So we'll see who gets a 10-day contract or if the Hawks give out a 10-day contract. Certainly one of the teams that have a roster spot, Hassan Whiteside meets a need. I think that is a, a flyer that the Hawks should take, in my opinion. But back to last night's game and overall thoughts. A lot of people were upset that Bogey was playing some minutes and he was struggling last night, really struggled last night. And I want to say that he was 2 of 12 on the floor. And I'm pulling up the stats back up right now. He was 2 of 13 from the floor for four points, five assists, four rebounds last night, one steal. And they were like, and DeAndre Hunter had the hot hand. So they were like, why is Bogey in the game? Why is Bogey in the game? Why is Bogey in the game? Well, players need rest. <laughs> Due to injury, you know, our rotations aren't the normal rotations. And people scoff at minutes given to certain players like Kaminsky, like a Justin Holiday. Like I said, with the lack of depth on this team and then injuries, that's a recipe for disaster. So Nate McMillan has to try new things to keep players fresh deal with the injuries, and try new things to try to shake some things up. Like, I understand your frustration, but this is the team that's given to you. You have to be creative with the minutes to preserve your players because injuries are already a prevalent issue on this Hawks team, and we cannot afford another one. We're as good as we've been in a bit, but we're still missing a huge piece in Clint Capella. Huge piece. And bulky playing last night, was to spell DeAndre Hunter for the final stretch, which he got in. And you guys were happy again. And he finished the game strong. But Bogey's shot-making and ability to catch fire at any time offensively, especially as a bench player, is so beneficial for this Hawks team. It's so beneficial. And sometimes he needs to work through his shooting slumps. And other times when he's a liability, making mistakes, turning over the ball, Missing shots, not playing great defensively, you have to take them out. But you have to give your players rest. You have to. A lot of people, you know, complain on Twitter, acting like managing an NBA team and coaching an NBA team is easy. Managing egos, managing a locker room, managing lineups, and overseeing offensive and defensive game plans from your coordinators, that's not an easy job. That's why there's only... 30 of them in the NBA. Same thing for the NFL. Being an NFL head coach is a hard job. That's why there are only 32 positions in the league. People do not extend grace because they want to see the things that they want to see. They're quick to, you know, and I will give Damon Millen his, you know, his critiques when they're warranted. But they're quick to demonize and throw rocks and cast stones at Damon Millen when he does wrong. But when they pull out a win last night, there's no one saying anything about the great job that he did managing this team down the stretch. But those are also the same people who are rooting for Damon Millen to fail so the Hawks fire him. But yet you want this team back in the playoffs and you want this team to be good. And like I continue to say on this podcast, there's a lot of bigger things behind the scenes in the front office that are red flags and, and smoke is coming out of that front office because of dysfunction. And there's a lot of issues that are out of Nate McMillan's control that we continue to place blame on him. I appreciate him. He's not the greatest coach. He can be stubborn. He's a little outdated. But, and and I'm going to talk a little bit more about John Collins' interview with Sam Amik from The Athletic that dropped today. But certainly, he did a really good job last night managing that team. And I, and I would be remiss if I did not mention it. But back to Bogey. Bogey has struggled the last two games. And I think it may 
I mean, we haven't really done load management with him, really. We really hadn't put him on a minutes restriction. And we've really just kind of let him go out there and play. And it just seems like the last couple of games, his, his legs aren't underneath him. And maybe a few days rest. Thankfully, the game is not, not till Wednesday here in Atlanta. Maybe a few days rest will help Bogey get his shot back. So I expect him to be really good against the Milwaukee Bucks after a few days rest. Um, I expect him to have a really good game, actually. Um, I, I think it'll be one of those 18-point performances off the bench, 18-points-plus uh, performances off the bench for Bogey. And we're going to forget all about him having two bad games in L.A. That's just my take on it. I thought last night was Trey's best game of the season, managing the game, making the right decision, picking and choosing his moments, attacking the paint, you know, taking advantage of what the defense was giving him. They did a lot of drop coverage. He killed them on drop coverage by penetrating the lane and getting that floater off. They could not stop him, especially in that fourth quarter. 14 points in the fourth quarter, three assists. He shot 75% from the floor. 100% from three and 100% from the free throw line. He was on fire in that fourth quarter. That was one of the best finishes of the season. And he was clutch down the stretch for the Hawks. And he had the best plus minus on the team. So, like I said, it was one of his better performances of the season. You know, even with four turnovers, even with four turnovers, it was one of his better performances, in my opinion. And... In the last, I, th I, I can't remember how, how many games, but in the last, I would say 10 games, he's averaging 29 points per game, nine assists per game, just under 10, over three rebounds a game, averaging just under three three-pointers made per game, shooting just under 47% from the floor, 39% from three, just under 89% from the free throw line, and true shooting percentage is at 61.8. He has played well. He has played well. He's definitely becoming more efficient. And I have been a critic of him on his program. And I think being more objective is good. Because there are things that Trey Young does need to get better at. Shot selection in the fourth quarter. If you're going to call for your pick and rolls, which is Trey Young that calls it, not, not naming Millen, guys. Trey Young calls it. If you're going to do it, Pick and choose the right moments. If you don't see what you like, pass out of it. Don't continue to dribble it. Don't put yourself onto the – don't use the pick and roll. Get on the baseline, and next thing you know, they're trapping you, and you have two big bodies, you know, blinding your passing lanes, and now you chuck up a three that are trying to initiate a foul or you turn the ball over. Uh, the key is Trey Young, and I said this on this program last episode – the key is Trey Young and his managing of the game in the fourth quarter. A lot of the fourth quarter woes are on Trey Young. I'm going to say that again. A lot of the fourth quarter woes are on Trey Young. There have been times in the last a few weeks when the team is playing well in the fourth quarter when DeJounte Murray leads them. Trey gets on the floor, and next thing you know, he's trying to, you know, Run the offense through him, which rightfully so, he's your best player, but not making the best decisions, shooting some shots that he should not shoot, uh, shooting early in the shot clock, trying to trade baskets with the other team instead of running the offense and getting the best look possible, um, trying to force fouls and not getting them, and now it's a turnover. Um, bad shot selection, now long rebound for the uh, the team, and the, and the opposing team gets to getting fast break or get down there before the Hawks can set up the defense and then they get an easy look. Those little things, that fourth quarter execution, which a lot of people want to put on Eamon Millen, I'm going to put on Trey Young. That was one of the things that he did really good last night. Fourth quarter execution was much better last night. And if we can get that Trey Young in the fourth quarter every game, and we still have Murray to have his make his impact defensively, even if he's not scoring a lot. Same thing with DeAndre Hunter and the others. Everybody else in the starting lineup, you know, do their things defensively, execute. But you know, Trey Young is going to be leading the offense. And if he makes the right plays down the stretch, the Hawks will win more games than they lose because that's your best player. 
even though I think DeJounte Murray needs to be the leader of this team, and I think Trey Young needs to show more leadership qualities, he led last night. He led through picking and choosing his moments and taking what the defense was giving him and executing the right play at the right time. So I'm going to say this again. The big key to turn this around is on Trey Young. How you lead by example, how you lead this team by your decision-making as the primary ball handler on this team, those and your fourth-quarter execution, those are going to be the keys to the Hawks continuing to win. And I thought he did an excellent job, so I wanted to tip my cap to Trey Young there for his performance last night. But last thing I want to say, I want to talk a little bit more about the John Collins interview with Sam and Meek from The Athletic. So Sam and Meek from The Athletic interviewed John Collins after the Kings win. And it was really great insight into how John Collins remains John Collins and maintaining his peace and his focus in the midst of all the dysfunction and uncertainty as far as his future, his place on the team. And the article sure as hell made me respect him as a person even more than I already did. I love John Collins. He's a consummate professional. He's one of my favorite players on his team from how he carries himself. I think he's the ultimate teammate. And I think no player on the team has dealt with as much adversity as him as far as their tenure on the Hawks. I think nobody on the Hawks team that's been here longer than two, three seasons. Because there's been a lot of, you know, turnover and revolving doors here in Atlanta with, you know, role players. But no one has dealt with what John Collins has had to deal with. And I don't know how he does it. And this article gave great insight into how he does. And one of the questions they asked him is, if they asked him, if, if you're breaking it down and unpacking it, what's been missing to this point talking about this Hawks team? And John Collins responded, "Not there's no one thing. He said, I definitely feel like having a whole new group of guys in this roster is one thing. Adding a big-time player in DeJounte Murray onto the squad is another thing. But he said, but I don't think there's anything missing on his squad. He thinks it's more assimilation into who we are, which is goes back to a theme that Naaman Millen said, Media Day. Figuring out this Hawks team identity. Who is this Hawks team? What are they going to hang their hat on? And because of the inconsistencies this season, that answer has not been figured out. The inconsistencies in their play, the injuries, their identity has still not been figured out, which is why they are 19 and 21 and not in the top half of the Eastern Conference, in my opinion. But John Collins said it's more assimilation into who we are and what we want to be as a team. Where where we can go. But what are they missing, he said. I don't think we have anything missing. I think we're loaded, but it's just me mentally. A lot of their issues are between the ears. Dealing with adversity, dealing with dysfunction, inconsistency, maybe in minutes for role players, different rotations, injuries, and so forth. There's a lot of things that this team's dealing with that I don't think a lot of people want to use as an excuse, but it is what it is. And so Sam Amig asked another question. He asked, is it strategic type stuff, chemistry type stuff, personal dynamics, all the above? And John Collins says it's all of the above. Injuries, guys not being available. It's adding young guys into our lineup, adding a player like DeJounte Murray, adding another all-star to the group. All that stuff adds an effect to what already makes playing and winning in, in the league so hard. It's hard to win, guys. It's hard. It's re it really is hard to win a game, as we're seeing right now. As the Clippers are seeing, they're, they've lost six straight. If anybody knows in the NBA, ask the Clippers, who we just beat. And John Collins says, so it's just hard to quantify one thing as in what to account for as far as What's going on? And he said that there was one thing that Nate Millen said to them the morning before the Kings game when they were breaking down film. And he said, when you look at film, look at yourself. And he said, I always try to look at myself, John Collins says. 
He said, for me, I want to make threes. So he said, in my part, I can say I'm part of the issue as far as the problems on the team with his three-point shooting. That's accountability, guys. That's what leaders do. DeJounte Murray, that's a leader. He calls for accountability for himself. That's something that needs to be more prevalent on this team. When you when you when you hold yourself accountable, it shows you know that you're humble, that you're selfless, and that you want to improve for the sake of improving for you, but improving for this team. And John Collins said this in his interview, which gave me even more respect for him. But he says it's something that he's working hard as hell every day to change his three-point shooting. We've seen it improve as of late. He said, I wouldn't say that I'm slumping, but I'm not shooting as well as I want. So I can say that I'm part of the issue just as well as I can say whoever is a part of the issue. He said, can you blame Ken Capella for being hurt right now? He said, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he said, can you blame when I was hurt? He said, I mean, Collins missed eight games with a sprained left ankle earlier this season. He said, that stuff happens. So that's, again, another thing that I've been accustomed to in the league. He said, it's just not knowing what to expect each day. That just helps him, John Collins, analyze it, not take any of the rumors and speculation uh, in, the, in the critiques from you know, fans and, and that analysts, he doesn't take it personal. He just wants to apply, you know, as much information as he can every day for this situation that he's in. The next question they got into was about Nick Mellon. Sam said uh, to hear something uh, that Nate shared this morning gives me a sense that in terms of this coach and his voice, and we all know that there's a lot of uncertainty around his future. It sounds like he's still getting through to y'all. And then Sam asks, is that dynamic going well enough? What part of what part does that play in the puzzle? And John Collins says, I feel like we all have respect for Nate, ultimate respect for him. But as John Collins said before, when situations that are going on with our team happen and hit the media, it definitely can create an extra mess of issues that weren't necessarily there before. So and John says, I don't know if it makes guys feeling different about Nate personally, but it just gives it just gives them another layer to have to deal with something that they have to work through. And he just says that he can. So personally, he sees it as another layer that they have to work through. He can't speak for every guy and how they're feeling, but it just adds another layer of what we have to figure out here in Atlanta. And that's why John Collins said that I don't think guys are taking it personally from Nate. It just makes the situation harder. And that was a sign of a guy that kind of stood up for his culture a little bit. Kind of stood up. I mean, there's still things that Nate has to do better for this team. But certainly... He's kind of saying that Nate gets a bad rep. Nate gets a bad rep. And when things go out there into the media, and I think he was indirectly referencing Trey and, you know, Nate spat. That it's something else that they have to work through. So it kind of lends back to my, you know, synopsis is that it's on Trey Young. If you're not happy, you have to talk to your coach. You have to talk to management. You can't let that spew out to the media. You can't leak stuff to the media if that is what Trey Young is doing. I'm not accusing him of anything, but typically when stories like that do come out, it does come out from that camp um, through a unnamed source, through indirect channels, and goes out there and puts out narratives to kind of get wheels spinning in favor of them. But it's not helping this Hawks team work through the things that they have to work through. It's not. And like John Collins says, a lot of mental things going on. I think they have the talent to be a top six team in the Eastern Conference when healthy. I certainly believe that. Some people blame X's and O's. And I give you and I gave you context as far as some of the X's and O's are called by Trey Young and not by the coaching staff that people put blame on. So, again, 
The key is Trey. Are you going to lead? Are you going to humble yourself, put your pride aside, and and play play for the sake of the team? Are you going to be a leader? Are you going to hold yourself accountable? Those are the things that are going to help quell some of the mental issues that are going on with this Hawks team and hopefully turn this thing around. Is he going to buy in so that they can finally figure out their identity for this iteration of the Atlanta Hawks, the 2022-2023 Atlanta Hawks basketball team and change things around and make a run for the playoffs? Certainly, if his agenda is to get Nate McMillan out of there, you can expect that not to happen. But you can tell John Collins wants to win. Even though he doesn't know where he's going to end up, he's still going to be a professional. He's going to get up and try to just not focus on the rumors and focus on being the best John Collins he can be and help whoever whoever is giving him a paycheck. And at this time, it's the Atlanta Hawks. He wants to help them win and be the best guy that he could possibly be and remain positive. DeJounte Murray wants to hold himself accountable to continue to get better and lead this team. Talk about communication. Talk about putting in the work. Continuing to build towards something greater. Trey Young even alluded to that last night. Building towards something better. But this is Trey's team. It's ultimately you guys put it on Nate McMillan. I'm going to put it on Trey Young. What are you going to do to help turn this thing around? I said this last episode. I saw it last night. I saw him try to do it against the Lakers. But the team did not have the same energy. But how are you going to execute in the fourth quarter? Continue to keep your teammates engaged. Lead by example. Make the right plays. And play the right way. How are you going to play the right way? Because when you play the right way like you did last night and how they did in Sacramento, you're going to win more games. When you play like you do against the Lakers and the start of the Golden State Warriors and other games that they should have won this year that they didn't. Because, hey, we've seen when Trey Young doesn't play how the team responds when DeJounte Murray leaves. We don't want that to become a greater narrative. So, like I said, Trey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Nate McMillan's future is uncertain. The, the team's play on the court has made that for certain. So, hey, what is Trey going to do to help right the ship? That's the question going forward. And that's the question that needs to be asked. And that is hopefully the answers we'll get with how he plays here on out. If hopefully he can continue that play from last night. And if you love what you heard from me today, give us a review. Give us five-star rating. You know the drill. Share this with everyone who loves the Atlanta Hawks. Like I said, tonight is the national championship game for the Georgia Bulldogs. So so this is going to be out on a Tuesday after hopefully they win the national title. If not, we're going to see a really big upset with the TCU Horned Frogs. I don't have a dog in a fight. You know, I usually go SEC over everybody. But I just want to see a good game and kick back, relax, and enjoy the finality of college football season because the NBA is in the dog days right now. And the dog days usually coincides with the NFL playoffs, which will start this weekend. Obviously, I have no dog in the fight. The, the Falcons are not in it. So we all just kick back and watch the finality of the football season come to a close. But the finality of this Hawks season is not here yet. How are they going to turn this thing around? It starts with Trey Young. And we're going to talk about that going forward here on Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks. So share this with everyone who has an affinity for the Atlanta Hawks. Put them onto our Twitter at Ethos Hawks on Twitter. That's at Ethos Hawks on Twitter. And follow me on Twitter as well at Brad Jarrett67. That's Brad J-A-R-R-E-T-T-67. We'll catch you guys next time. I'm going to do a shorter episode breaking down the Milwaukee Bucks matchup on Wednesday on ESPN. So that one will come out Wednesday morning, afternoon. So be on the lookout for that one. But we'll catch you guys next time. And as always, let's go Hawks.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.